Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. This week we remind you, the brightest neon light casts the darkest shadow. I'm Ian Woodworth and I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. And today we have a special guest, Ethan Reynolds, the author of the new cyberpunk dystopian game Neon Knights. Ethan, welcome to Undercommon Taste. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. So how about you go ahead and start off and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. So my name's uh, Ethan H. Reynolds. I am a recent college graduate of George Mason University. That's in Fairfax, Virginia. Just the summer I graduated, so I've been looking for things to do. And one thing that I did when I was in college is I did literary magazines. So I wanted to kind of combine my experience with the formation of like making a literary magazine to game design as well. And I kind of found that marriage in tabletop games. And over the summer of the first beginnings of COVID, the wonderful uh, summer of 2021, I'll never forget it. Or 2020, excuse me. Seems like forever ago. But anyways, it was my first foray into uh, tabletop games. I created a uh, fantasy tabletop game. And then after that, I created Neon Knights. And just this year, I released it to pretty good acclaim, it seems like. Thank God. And now we're here. Awesome. I've picked it up and I've looked through it. It is an interesting game concept. So what was your inspiration for Jericho City, the setting that you hint at in your game? Yeah, so Jericho City is kind of so 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 Neon Knights in itself is kind of it's interesting because it's like a marriage of a bunch of cyberpunk type of subgenres within the genre it's kind of weird but you've got your blade runner influences with like these uh highly sophisticated synthetic corporations you've got your night city inspirations to where you have these small level gangs and some that are kind of like goofy and spin-offy of like you know it reminds me of i, I don't remember the, the name of the gang but there's one in cyberpunk 2020 where they're like clowns or something like that like i always thought the idea of having goofy gangs like that would be really funny so there's some of those in Neon Knights, and then you've got your Judge Dredd type stuff with your hyper, how would I put it, hyper lethal, I guess, police force. And your, you know, you've got like this post-apocalyptic setting outside of the city. And I'd never watched Judge Dredd before I made Neon Knights, but seeing the similarities between like at least like the ways that Jericho City works and like some of the outlandish stuff that happens in Judge Dredd, I think is pretty interesting. So. Yeah, those are kind of the inspirations that I drew from, for sure. Awesome, yeah. I actually have some questions about Judge Dredd actually lined up, because I did definitely get a Judge Dredd feel from this. There was a handful of different things. I saw some things. If you talk about these smaller gangs, uh, you said you just graduated college last year. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing you probably haven't seen the uh, 70s movie, The Warriors. My dad is like huge into movies like that. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Gotcha. There's various scenes where you've got the smaller New York gangs. It's actually based off a Greek myth of all things, or uh, Greek history, actually, not even a myth. But yeah, you talk about the gangs of clowns. I don't think there's any actual clown outfits, but there is one where they're actually dressed in more or less baseball uniforms, and they do have their face all painted up, and I kind of, <laughs> yeah, I kind of, you know, again, has that feel to it. So that's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So there are a bunch of other cyberpunk games that are out and available. You mentioned Cyberpunk 2020. There's the new updated version with Cyberpunk Red from Artal Saurian. You know, you've got games like Shadowrun and Carbon 2185 and yep. Electric Bastion Land. 
that all have, if they're not straight cyberpunk, they have a very cyberpunk feel with some other elements added in. Uh So why did you feel the need to create your own game and what niche do you hope to fill with it? That's a really good question. So the reason, I mean, some of these answers that you you might get might be like pretty simple, but really the, the biggest reason why I created it is because I really wanted to create it. I had a short story collection called Neon Knights that actually had stories from within the universe. And so I majored in creative writing and folklore mythology uh, along with my English bachelor's. So I was heavy into like straight up short stories, novels and things like that, writing that. But There was just something missing, part of the equation, right? So I wanted the world to feel as immersive as possible. And, you know, doing a story would encapsulate that, but playing a game with the setting would be even more immersive, in my opinion. So I kind of wanted to mesh those two things together. And it also, I kind of wanted to hop on it, too, because of uh, Cyberpunk 2077's... uh, how, how do you say this? Uh, tumultuous, I guess, release. That's a, I, that's a very diplomatic way of putting it. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I liked the game enough. Sure, I could, what was it? There was like five quests I couldn't complete. So that kind of sucked. But like, you know, it was okay. So I saw that people were kind of wanting, I think, like a new cyberpunk experience. And, you know, my game, as small as it is, doesn't, have nearly as much gravitas as like our Talzorian games and their Cyberpunk 2077 like 3D massive AAA game that they made but I thought that it could offer a really cool mixture of like the game mixed in with like rules light tabletop games I know it sounds really weird but I wanted it to be a very accessible game kind of like how 2077 was mixed in with kind of the crunch of a little bit of the crunch of like Cyberpunk Red or Cyberpunk 2020. I like that. And I think games really are close to the pinnacle of immersive art. I mean, unless we're going like full VR, Mm -hmm. I mean, really just the amount you can invest in a character and that, you know, proper role playing or even just getting in and setting the mood around the table. You've got lighting, you can do music and stuff like that. So I like that you want to tell a story and that you want that immersive aspect. So I think actually doing a game is the perfect way to do that. Yeah. And I would agree that there are certain stories where that interactive element is really necessary for it to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. There, there are certain stories where you can't just write out a short story or write out a novel and encapsulate what it is to be in that world. You have to have that interactive aspect to it, that unpredictability that other people bring into it in order to really make the world feel right, you know? Yeah, yeah. no, that's well done. And I think that is a great concept. And if we have game writers, storytellers, authors, I mean, that really is something to kind of go with. And going back to, you know, Clark Rowenson when he was out here, when he was talking about his systems and whatnot, you know, that really is that perspective angle of character development. So again, tying things in together, but they really all do kind of tie in and mesh together. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) so one thing that i did notice whenever i was reading through the neon knight rules is that you'd start off with a really low hit point pool and you and you specify that it's supposed to be deadly Mm -hmm. so what made you decide to make this game a high lethality game so I think of it, oh gosh, that's a good question. I think it's mostly because of the world of Neon Knights, right? So Jericho City is a city full of 
hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And lives are kind of disposed like dispensable or expendable in this universe, right? So in Jericho City, it's a hyper-capitalistic society that puts uh, like goods and services and like corporations as entities over like the general populace, right? So having people be as disposable as like a can of soda, right? With 1d4, I mean, there's literally a weapon. I mean, I think there's, what was it? I think that there's a police baton when you can first pick the game. It's like 1d6, right? So somebody, and that's that's in real life too. Like if you get knocked up the side of the head with a baton hard enough, you could get your lights knocked out if not die. So it's kind of like mixing in the world building of this world of Jericho City being this kind of cutthroat, lives are dispendable uh, expendable i keep saying dispendable i don't know why but expendable things that i think it also adds uh, an aspect of tactical gameplay too i have uh players my play testers who played neon knights before release i specifically remember we were in a nightclub and there was like a top balcony where there were multiple people guarding the office to one of these mob bosses and one of the guys was like i go up to them and i smack one of them against the head with a baseball bat and i was like Okay, so he does that and he succeeds in killing one of them pretty easy. But then five people show up and they all surround him with guns. So surrounding one melee fighter with like 1d6 pistols doesn't bode well for the character. Uh, Let's say that. So it was kind of funny. I helped him out and told them that tactical gameplay was, was something that they needed to do. So I was gracious enough to grant them another chance. And then next session, another chance. And then another chance the next one. But I just can't. I'm a wimp when it comes to character death. I'll, I'll be straight up honest. But uh, So would you say that cowardice is a tactical option in this game? <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. There are multiple perks that you can take to run away. So, like, yeah. 100%. That's awesome. And you're sitting here talking about how in Jericho, lives are disposable or expendable. You know, there's a low set value of life. Then also, you also say you're kind of a wimp, so you kind of like giving your players extra chances. So I I kind of get that feel. I I understand that. Um, (laughs) Have you by chance watched the Altered Carbon series on Netflix? No, but I need to. I, I literally have been recommended that so many times and people have said it's so good. And the book apparently is amazing, too. It's something I need to check out. I did not realize there's a book. Yeah. So I mean... (laughs) That's great. It's so Philip yeah, K. Dick, isn't it? I think so. That makes perfect sense, actually, because it totally has a Blade Runner feel. And I love, there are questions that are asked in Altered Carbon that I absolutely love. Yeah. But with Altered Carbon, you know, everybody basically downloads their consciousness into a chip that sits at the base of the skull. And unless that chip's destroyed, the body can die and you can just be reinserted into a new body. But you do, in that series, have that very similar, okay, so so that person dies, so what? I still need this job done type thing. Right. So again, I'm very much getting that dystopian kind of Blade Runner. Again, Philip K. Dick, perfect sense. You know, feel mega corporations type thing as well. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you're totally building this. I can kind of draw in from other influences where this is coming from or what fits. So well done. I mean, that is quintessential to the genre of cyberpunk. I mean, that is what makes cyberpunk cyberpunk is it's, you're telling the story from the perspective of the everyman who is forced to either conform or rebel against these super powerful entities at the top of the food chain that have every advantage over them and they're just scrounging for the scraps. Absolutely. That is true. I mean, that's the whole impetus behind cyberpunk. That's why it's a punk 
genre. Yeah. yeah. So, so just a little, just a little additive to that. Like the occupations in Neon Knights kind of tie in with that, right? So you can look in the occupations and you can find, you know, your typical mercenary, assassin, you know, soldier, stuff like that. But there's also office worker, homebody, what a farmer. Like there's literally things out there that literally, like like you were saying, like the every man type feel can like rise above their situation and can do what they want. And that's another aspect that I wanted to highlight in Neon Knights as well. We just have to ask, we do need a Scott Brown realty group. It, it <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I got a showing. <laughs> we're going to have to tag Seth Skorkowski into this now and try and get him on the show because... Oh, that would be amazing. Yes, please. Yeah. Well, he... he World build with us got him on, so we might be lucky. Oh, that'd be Maybe. great. But I mean, going through, you're talking about the traits and some of these things as we're planning the traits and your skill set you're building up. I love the biomechanical additions, which again is very much a cyberpunk feel to it. And it kind of reminds me again, an older game, because again, most of my early gaming experiences and even still modern is a lot of the old video games. So Mm -hmm. the the Deus Ex Machina game series has a lot of that. And the way we were just now describing the cyberpunk genre about kind of like the everyman fighting the mega corporation or one way or the other, it kind of ties in too. But the old Bioware game, Knights of the Old Republic, that was Mm. actually a Star Wars franchise, has a lot of those good biomechanical upgrades you can get too. And if you really kind of break it down and look at it, Star Wars is almost a cyberpunk in its own right. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, there are um, there's certain places. Oh, uh, what was it? I think it was Attack of the Clones. I may be wrong. But when they're going after that bounty hunter in, was it Coruscant? or I, can't I think remember. it was on Coruscant, yeah. Yeah, yeah and they were, uh, Anakin was in the yellow uh, fighter thing and they were going around. That whole city re- like looked exactly like something out of Blade Runner, right? Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. You know, you have these giant properties like Star Wars, even Star Trek, if you really want to do a a stretch with like uh, the more modern iterations with J.J. Abrams. Or you could even bring it further with something like Dune and the way that Villeneuve, Dennis Villeneuve, is, is making like this weird synth type of soundtrack with Dune and or what it seems like and then like how all of these things are like tying together with the theme of like rising above and biomechanical augmentations with star wars i mean look at luke look at anakin i mean those are literally that's literally biotech right so yeah that's interesting yeah and and i would definitely say that the original trilogy has a much more cyberpunk feel to it because you are viewing the story from the point of view of the underdogs absolutely and if you wanted to take the prequel trilogy into account that is a very good perspective of a society that is collapsing into a cyberpunk setting oh, oh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Because you do have the Republic at the beginning and some semblance of democracy, at least. And then as the storyline progresses, it gets more authoritarian and the Empire ends up becoming this overarching entity that is oppressive to everyone underneath it. Right. Well, I mean, even from the beginning scroll text of episode one, I mean, the whole thing starts because of a trade dispute basically overreaching corporate entity trying to blockade a smaller group so they could, you know, corner the market as it were. Yeah. Right. All right. So James mentioned the traits system that you've got going on in Neon Knights. Your game uses a collective list of traits lumping together abilities that would be considered attributes like strength and dexterity and intelligence 
and others that would be considered skills like bartering and history and sneaking mm-hmm. that in other games like say Dungeons and Dragons would be separated and then the skills would be dependent upon the attributes. Yeah. So why did you decide to lump it all together in one traits list as opposed to having an attribute plus skill system? Because I think in my opinion, when I first played Dungeons and Dragons my freshman year, uh, at least with 5e, it was a bit convoluted in my opinion. Like rolling for your however many stats, six you know main stats or however many, uh, is really invigorating and cool. But then like you've got to figure out, oh, well, if I have a 15 in strength, I've got to add things to like other skills. And then like I've got to like figure out what modifiers. And it's just like so much. So I wanted to I wanted to literally just boil it down to here are your traits. Here are the traits of your literal person and assign points to them. And whatever action you do within that is what you roll. You don't have to like have almost, well, I hate to, I hate to say it, but nearly useless base pool of stats. You know, you can keep that in mind as a GM, but I mean, most of the time they're forgotten by the wayside. It's your skills that mean more than your main stats, at least in what I've seen, you know, when, when you're at least doing role playing, that's the case. Maybe for like con saves and stuff like that, maybe not. But yeah, I wanted it to make it really simple. You want to hack? You roll intelligence. You want to lift something heavy? You roll strength. You want to barter so- between somebody? You roll bartering. Simple, easy, and effective. And, and I appreciate the simplicity of that because that is something that does get sort of bogged down in Dungeons and Dragons. It has been simplified a good bit in 5th edition mm-hmm. because they've gotten rid of actually buying ranks in your skills like you had in third and 3.5 yeah. and where you just have a proficiency where it improves as you level up. Yeah. But still I agree that because there are some instances where, and it, this is one of those things that doesn't really get used very often, but you can end up having off attribute skill checks. Mm-hmm. So like if you wanted to, you could have, let's just say an intelligence persuasion check. So instead of using your charisma, you're using your knowledge to use intelligence on on a persuasion. Whereas in this, it would be, you know, are you good at persuading people? Yeah. Yeah. Then you roll your persuasion. (laughs) Exactly. There's no interpretation to it. There's no finagling to it. It's a simple, okay, you want to persuade him, roll persuasion. Yeah, and there's even cooler stuff, too, in the perk trees where you can go to the speech tree and you can go to these different things like uh, sneaking and intelligence and you can specify what groups you are good at persuading or being diplomatic towards and you can specialize in that. Whereas in Dungeons and Dragons or something like that, I mean, you have like what thieves can't, but that's like basically it or like speaking a language that you'll probably never use in game like that. I'm not too into, but like having this vast perk tree where you can specifically pick what people you're good with talking to and like what in specific you're good at talking to people with it's really intuitive and i think it's really cool and offers a lot of build variety yeah i love variety with character building i love a broad deep reaching skill tree i think and again that goes to that immersion too because it lets you specify and customize your character versus all characters kind of feeling cookie cutter ish which is a, what a lot of games have tried to shift towards and i really dislike so i am very happy to see the depth of options that you've offered with your character building thank you and to go back to the dungeons and dragons reference for a minute because like you said you can specify individual groups 
or individual subsets of people that you would be good at, say, persuading. That gives you a level of variability that you wouldn't get in, you know, a D&D character who has, say, a 16 charisma and proficiency in persuasion. All characters that have a 16 in charisma and proficiency in persuasion have the same chance of persuading any given person. Right. You don't have that variance to it like you would in this game. Yeah, and I think that that offers a that does a disservice to like character variety, and I think that it offers more of like a personal feel to your character. Like we've been saying, it's it's a very uh, freeing and oh geez, I forgot the word. But anyways, it's a very freeing experience being able to build the character. You <laughs> are we going for liberating? Yeah, liberating or uh, it started with an I, and it it was about immersive. It's a very uh. immersive way of building your character. Yeah. <laughs> There we go. (laughs) Now, I will have to bring up, I did see, I'm not going to say it was a glaring omission, but I did note an omission in the book. I've noticed there is no transportation. And we're in 2700 now, so do we have flying cars yet? Like, there actually is transportation that you can yeah, see. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, because it's, oh, it's part, it it's part <laughs> of character creation. Oh, okay. I co- totally missed that. I <laughs> yeah, it's in, the, it's in the wealth and health section. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, do we have flying cars? Do we have hover bikes? Yeah, we do. We do got like we... a mass transit system that finally works. Yeah, there literally <laughs> is. Like, and that's what I think is really cool about the system, too, is that when you roll your wealth, you roll a, a D12 and a D8 for some, and maybe a D6, I can't remember. But you roll specific dice towards your wealth. And you can get uh, $1,000 to start out with and like a bus pass, right? Whereas someone else can roll like a 12 and get like $250,000 and then they can get like a luxury car, right? But there's caveats to that, right? So if they've got a lot of money, they're going to be a target for people stealing it. And if they've got a nice luxury car, say in the fifth uh, sector of Jericho City, the most poverty section or sector of the city, they're probably going to get their car jacked. So like, you know, there's pluses and minuses to having like luxurious goods and neon nights and it balances itself out in the world building in the way that the wealth functions. Can we get that awesome security system like in Batman Returns or was it Rise of the Black Knight? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that would be uh maybe you could go to a car uh mechanic and get that customized. I don't know, yeah. That'd be or, awesome. Uh, or uh James Bond's BMW in was it is either in Tomorrow Never Dies or in Die Another Day. It was one of the Pierce Brosnan ones. Yeah, I know and, exactly yeah, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, the the one where the guys go to try and break into it and they, they swing a sledgehammer at it and it bounces off. <laughs> <That'd be laughs> awesome, yeah. And then it starts driving and runs them over and Yeah. After Guns and Bullets, I was thinking about doing like a little like vehicle customization expansion pack so that, that would, be, would be awesome yeah. I, be cool, yeah. I, I think yeah that would be pretty dope so that's that's kind of uh something i'm thinking about for sure now you talked about jericho and how you have it broken up into sections i like that that is a fun thing and that mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of midgar from final fantasy 7 was that something ah, you yeah. experienced as well yeah again kind of that dystopian again very cyberpunk in a way but you've got the city divided up into sections and largely by societal strata or wealth so yeah again was getting that feel with your game as well. Yeah, for certain. And yeah, Midgar, now that I'm thinking about it, I haven't played a lot of Final Fantasy VII, but yeah, that's that's definitely an intro because it's like a ring. It's like rings, right? There are certain like... like yeah, it's a ring rings. and then there's plates. So you have an outer ring and then I don't know how they've done it with the update, but then you had like uh-huh. sections like in a pie. So you had a ring, a upper or lower level, and then the, like pie sections. Oh, that's dope. That's like a 3D level. Yeah, that's cool. A lot of it, I got some inspiration from the Hunger Games, honestly, because uh, they have the districts that they oh. have too. Another great call, yeah. 
yeah, and I thought that that was I thought that was a pretty dope thing. I wanted to mix like the dystopian feel of those kind of things mixed in with like the cyberpunk stuff of like Blade Runner and things like that. So I kind of married them together into one happy family there. Though. So you got an inspiration for dystopian society in 2020? How'd that possibly happen? <laughs> yeah, whoa! It's almost like we're living in one. Whoa! <laughs> Too real, man. <laughs> we, we, we can't we can't have that level of reality on this show, you know. <laughs> So what were your inspirations for Jericho City as a whole? What do you mean? Like the the setting? I would say like kind of like what we discussed before, like the Judge Dredd universe. What's another one that I mentioned? It was things like Blade Runner. Obviously, like I just said, the Hunger Games and the way that districts work and things like that. And I wanted it to be kind of mostly kind of like the Hunger Games in the way that it like forms. Because I think in the Hunger Games, it's mostly, if not all, based on class. So I wanted to mix that kind of class struggle aspect of cyberpunk to where like most of the majority of people are like poor and, uh, you know, don't have a lot of money. If they have some money, then they're running like a rundown shop. But there's also like your really high bureaucrats in the like the first sector of Jericho City who do nothing but like blabber all day about topics they don't care about and just reaping money by corporations that are lobbying for them. So yeah, uh, there's a lot of different places that I get inspiration from. And I think uh, Melton pretty okay in, in this nice little uh, fun city, fun, friendly city, uh, Jericho City. And just reading into the intro, I get the impression that Jericho City is a futuristic representation of the U.S. Eastern Seaboard. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yep. The Great East Coast. So, I mean, how far does it stretch? What sort of area is it actually covering? Ah, that's a good question. I've kind of tinkered around the idea. I leave it ambiguous for now because I cannot tell you a definitive (laughs) answer. I'm not going to BS, I'll be honest. So I think there's two ways that it could function. One of the ways is that it's a giant city, right? Like absolutely gargantuan and where it stretches almost the entirety of the East Coast. Similar to Blade Runner's like LA to where it's like huge. But I wanted this to be one of the things that I would like it to be is like a country almost as big as like Europe, the size of this eastern like Jericho City. And then the other one is a city that's like maybe three times bigger than New York, like not the biggest city that you could ever conceive, but pretty large to have a bunch of people in it. So, yeah, it's one of the two. I haven't really decided on which one I'd want because both of really honestly, to me, both of them equal the same outcome no matter how big the place is there's always going to be class inequality there's always going to be corporations that are rolling over these people right and no matter how big your city is if you take as much money as they do from the populace and fund it to the military your military force can be as big as the united states if you fund uh, most of it through taxes and, and things like that so size i haven't really determined yet but the function of the city i think would function regardless indeterminate of size okay I can get that feel. And again, that kind of ties back in. I did get a lot of Judge Dredd feel from this. Uh-huh. And in Judge Dredd, they talked about the megaopoly or the mega the megaopolis. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, basically like from Chicago to New York became one giant city, that whole radial area. And you had others. So are there other cities in this world or is it just Jericho currently? Yes. Yeah, so there are other cities. Well, in the U.S., good question. 
we might discover that in an expansion later on. Because, yeah, I was actually <laughs> going to lead because if there was other cities, I was going to ask if you were considering an expansion because I could see this leading itself to like a syndicate crime group, kind of like the Mafia or the Yakuza. Yeah. And in which case you could probably have two different playing parties at one point kind of interact, which I think would be a load of fun yeah. for both groups. Because, I mean, maybe they're, they're working for a not a single goal, but there is a single target that they are both trying to outmaneuver each other for. I think that would be a really fun, huge scenario to do, but it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, there definitely might be some cities out there in the United States, but they're not as big as Jericho City, I, I okay. will say. They won't be as big, but there are challenging, like, in size, mega cities all across the planet. So you've got one in Russia, you've got one in Japan, you've got one in China, you've got one in South America, and there's, I think, seven. But I can't think of the other ones right now, but the big players, the really big players in the world are... Lin Shay, which is the one in China, Jericho City, of course. And then I created the damn name, but I can never pronounce it. It's like <laughs> Diaragska, I think is what how you pronounce it. But that was the one in Russia. And currently, as of uh, 2700, Jericho City and Lin Shay are in a war in both the great wastes of outside Jericho City. So in the United States and also across the sea in China. So okay. like, and it's really cool too, because it's kind of like wars that happen nowadays because the wars in the United States aren't on our home turf, right? They're fought right. overseas in a distant land. And that's kind of what the wars in like Jericho City and Lin Shay are like, because there are these wars that are fought in the great wastes and lands that are nothing like the city. And the general populace doesn't care because they don't see any of it. So, so they're like proxy wars? Yeah, they're 100% proxy wars. Wars to generate profit, wars to uh, create new technologies, military industrial complex, things like that. 100%. And the war's been going on between Lin Shay and Jericho City basically ever since the two megacities communicated with each other. So yeah, I like the idea of multiple cities across the world. And also in the United States and even Canada. So, yeah. Good deal. I like it. Yeah. So whenever you go through the rule set that you have for Neon Knights, you've left a great deal of the rule set up to GM Fiat, mm -hmm. including things like the duration and difficulty of resisting things like status effects. So why did you decide to leave so much up to interpretation rather than giving a hard and fast, here's how you do it? rule set because i'm a big believer in the rule of cool i really dig that rule and i didn't want to create this massive heaping gargantuan piece of literature that you'd have to search through for hours trying to get all of the mechanics down as of 1.4 a status effect depending on what they are willpower or mental fortitude very simple so you know you've got things like uh, how do you want to handle your world stats that's probably the biggest like GM handling thing because it's world stats are completely role playing based. They have nothing to do with your actual like combat or anything like that. So I left things like, you know, the size of Jericho City, whether there are cities inside of the United States and what, what are some other things, other things I can't think of that are kind of open ended. I wanted to do that because I wanted their Jericho City to be their Jericho City and I wanted their campaign to be their own. I didn't want to basically create the same game over and over again where, oh, you meet in a tavern or, oh, you meet in a nightclub and we have crazy bad hackers or a bad gang like, oh boy. No, I want there to be like, for example, for the campaign that I'm doing, they're literally going in a, one of the Indigo Towers. 
Brothers, which Indigo is one of the biggest corporations in Neon Knights. And there's a, like this mega tower in this version of Neon Knights to where there's this giant, almost Castle Wolfenstein cyberpunk mega tower that they're like trying to go through. And inside of the mega tower, there's like this mega Godzilla that's like being created. And they've got to find a way to like stop it from wreaking havoc on like the main city of Jericho. So like, I want that to be the world that I, uh, people create. I don't want it to be like this strict. Some people, well, I haven't personally met anybody, but people that are like, oh, well, I only want the uh, Forgotten Realms canon to be like in our games. I'm like, no, that's not how you play a role-playing game. You play a role-playing game by having the Play-Doh, right? So you have the Play-Doh and then you make it into what you want. So you have the base and then you form it to what game, what systems, and then what lore you want it to be. So you play a role-playing game by playing the roles? I know. Whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> Mind yeah. blown. And again, <laughs> yeah. I really do enjoy that about your system. Again, talking about the depth of character involvement and not enjoying so much a cookie cutter system. There are times where, you know, just a set module is great to run and it gives you yeah. some good guidelines, particularly if you're new to setting up a game. But having that freedom to kind of build a story and just like, hey, here's a scenario we're going to play in this realm. I really enjoy that, too. So, yeah, yeah I, I love giving the players freedom. So you mentioned the world stats and what you just finished talking about. Uh-huh. Can you go into a little bit of detail on what these world stats are, how they work as a storytelling guide? so to speak. Sure. So like, for example, when you create your character, I forget how many points you get. I think you get eight points starting out, put into your world stats. You got eight points, one to 10. And that depends going from that scale. There are certain degrees on which like the environment is impacted from you. So like one to three is uh, none or even a negative impact on the world. And then like four to six is like kind of like a medium. And then like six to nine or seven to nine is like a pretty large impact on like the, the whole of Jericho city and like people know like you and like what you're about. And then 10 is like the entire world knows about you. And I wanted to make that a thing because people sometimes want to create crazy characters. Like one of the ones that one of my characters made was a character named Billiam Clinton, who was a descendant <laughs> of Bill Clinton and thought that he, he was like deranged and thought that he was like the rightful president of Jericho city. And so he made his fame eight and everybody knew who he was. Like people were stopping by and be like, oh my God, it's that crazy dude who rants and raves about like some dude we don't even know about. And like, you know, it's cool things like that. Like maybe somebody wants to play a celebrity with high fame and they want people to like recognize them and like sign autographs about them. And then that also adds a sense of a suspense to where people know about them and they know about their lives. So they're more keen on maybe doing harm to them. And then like maybe somebody who has like a high public fear stat has done something horrible in the past or is like this really prolific gang member. And people are like, oh my God, I heard about him on the news. That guy's like really scary. Or like you have a high sense of style and you roll into a place and people are like, whoa, look at that guy. That guy's, that guy's stunting, you know? Like things like that, I think add yet another layer of originality and kind of personability to your character that I think is really cool in the hands of a good GM. If you employ those aspects, you can have a really, really fun and chock full world that makes your characters feel special in their own ways, you know? Yeah, I love that entire thing you described while immersive and awesome. I absolutely love, it's just something, charisma in a lot of games. So again, yeah. I love that you gave that another outlet. And again, you've added so much flavor to your world with that. Thank you. I have 
one more question. Absolutely. So do you have plans to flesh out Jericho City, possibly even making adventure modules that take place there? Absolutely. So there's multiple things that I have in store. So the first expansion, the Guns and Bullets expansion, which you can find a little hint of at the end of version 1.4 edition. You can see that there's an expansion that's going to come out September 24th. It's going to be chock full. So the the catalog, uh, Guns and Bullets, Arms and Armor catalog is about these two failed merchants in Sector 4 of Jericho City, which is like the second poorest sector. And they got raided by the Jericho uh, City Police Department, and their place was bombed by the police department. So they're shit out of luck. They can't really do anything. So they basically created flyers to post around the city, and they got four people, probably that aren't of the most sane of mind, to sell stuff in the catalog. And the catalog is full of really fun and unique weapons, armor, items, perks even that you can learn that the characters that you create can play as and past guns and bullets obviously there's going to be a second edition of neon knights sometime soon well sometime soon probably in the next few years and yes it will be fully fleshed out my idea is that there will be maps there will be all new original artwork uh systems will be more fleshed out the graphic designing will be a bit better it won't be in canva it'll probably be in something like affinity or indesign and then Yeah, we'll also have more lore that comes out. And also, to add on that, something that's been really special about this game is that it's only released like a couple... What was it? It released July 26th of this year, so not even two months. And there's already been people wanting to make their own fan art and graphic novels and adventures and things like that. And I think that stuff literally makes me want to like tear up because, you know, I never thought that it would get this far. My first goal for Neon Knights was five sales. If I got five sales, boom done my career as a game designer is over i am fulfilled Uh, but since then it has exploded in popularity at least in the center on twitter and it's been honestly one of the most rewarding experiences ever to have like this small community and to be on podcasts like yours to talk about my games it's it's a tremendous honor that i wish i could communicate but anyways that's all the kind of the stuff that I have for Neon Knights. More expansions past Guns and Bullets, second edition, and also community-created content, too. I'm really looking forward to seeing a lot of this. That sounds really fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be awesome. All right. So I think that brings us to the end of the interview portion. One of the things that we like to do with our guests is to make a creature on the fly using okay. this random generator table that we have. All right. So are we going to try to do the cyberpunk theme? We can try. We can (laughs) certainly try. Let's see what we got. I mean, the entries are a bit more fantastical, but a lot of them are open-ended enough that we can probably throw a sci-fi twist on most of them. This will be fun. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be... Yeah. All right. So if you've got your dice... I do. All right. So first off, we are going to need a D4 roll. All right. D4 roll. Four. Four. It swims. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) I'm excited. This is going to be fun. All right. Next up is going to be a 1d6 roll for what does it eat? Oh, God. All right. Here we go. Five. Hey, we're rolling high today. It eats living meat. Oh, God. (laughs) Okay. God. It eats people. (laughs) Wow. It's a book. (laughs) We're making a shark, a cyber shark. Or we're making like a necrophage, like a like oh my a God. like a micro 
organism that oh that was so scary that would that would that that turned evil so fast i loved it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah whenever we had uh mitch wallace on from penny for a tale talking uh, about necrobiotic we had a uh i think it fed on carrion yeah oh. but it ended up becoming this sort of grafted tardigrade <laughs> sort of creature oh my god like a vamp yeah that acted like a vampire fish yeah um <laughs> we called them dick poppers colloquially because <laughs> you didn't want to have any exposed orifices near the water oh, so like God. you wouldn't you wouldn't want to like pee in the canal or anything because they had these little barbs that they could shoot out oh. and, like grappling hook and they would pull themselves oh. up and and you would just have a bad time that would be <laughs> awful that's nightmare fuel yeah all right really so let's keep going on this one yeah we need ourselves a different flavor of nightmare fuel so next up is a 1d8 for the size. Okay. Six. Six. It is huge. Hey, let's go. All right, so so I'm seeing it's swimming, but as we've stated before, swimming doesn't necessarily incline itself water. to water. Oh, so that's true. I'm thinking maybe something that swims through like an industrial smog or maybe through like EM pollution. Oh my God. This thing is horrifying. Or it could be energy beast. Oh, make it purely digital? Holy crap. That yeah, is- it could be. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure how we're going to have it feed on living flesh as a <laughs> digital entity. Unless it like. It could be like on the psyche of people. Oh, yeah. It could yeah. be in the psyche or it could be something where like it goes through as it swims through whatever like EM Wi-Fi channel or whatever. Like, oh, oh my God, the 5G. And then if you have any of those, <laughs> if you have any of the biotech upgrades, that's how it hits you. And then as it consumes you, kind of the matrix, and it turns your body into electrical impulse energy. Yeah. So, so, so just really quick, there's actually something like that in Neon Knights. There's brainwave energy, which is okay. changing to microwave energy. So that's really, that's actually pretty dang. That's, that's I awesome. Could, I'm, I'm seeing this more of a, as it kind of swims through people, it interacts with biotech mods. And so it causes necrosis around the mods. Yes. As as it as it breaks down the tissue, as it sort of digests the tissue, and then it somehow manages to convert that digestion into like an electrical an electrochemical energy that it siphons through the implants. I like that. And then, like, if you've had the tissue around your mod digested for whatever reason, it could possibly fall out. So you'd have, like, scavengers either trying to pick up, like, loose ones or trying... Yeah, I'm I'm liking this. I can can definitely see the poorer people... Because this would definitely be something, you know, that would be living in the poorer districts because that's where you're going to have the pollution for it. Right. Right. I can definitely see, you know, the poorer people who can't afford to have any body mods of their own going out into the smog or into these, you know, EM field areas and just scavenging this dropped discarded tech from the corpses of the people that it ate. I've got a gang name. such a cool idea. I've got a gang name, the Remoras. Okay. Hey, I kind of dig it. Yeah, where they hang up under the underside of the shark and they feed off just basically whatever the shark like drips behind. Yeah. Okay. All right, we got distracted. <laughs> let's, let's distracted? Let's keep going. Start off with a D10 roll, please. All right, let's go. For number of limbs. Two. 
It's got two limbs, so it's bipedal, I guess. Interesting. Maybe it has like weird fins. It could have fins or just graspers, you know, or even like tentacle type things. I mean, if it's going to be electromagnetic type thing, that could be yeah, how can, it reaches out with yeah, like I an electric see, arc. Yeah, like a oh, yeah, like arcing pseudopod kind of deals. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Okay, and then another D10 roll for the number of eyes. Oh yeah. All right. Let's see. Three. Three. All right. So it's got three eyes. Hey. These are absolutely like War of the world. So you have like an optical sensor, and oh, then yeah. an EM sensor, and then another environmental sensor of some sort, probably an industrial nose. So it'd be like a, a biochemical sensor or something like that. So it could tell where the pollution is. So it stays within certain ranges. Yeah. The alien design for that movie is underrated. Honestly, I'm seeing this as sort of like different spectra in each eye. Like one of them's infrared, one of them's EM. Yeah. And one of them is just normal visible light spectrum. Okay. Yo. That's sick. And I'm almost seeing this more as a smaller physical entity with a larger digital footprint sort of superimposed over it. Oh, I okay. like it. Like a floating hologram type thing? Kind of, yeah. Okay, um, so, yeah. So like you end up having this small flying drone almost at the center okay with these two appendages that it uses to interact with its environment and to maneuver itself as it flies so maybe this was some sort of ai synth tech that was developed and got loose i like it so that's kind of what i'm seeing right now I am not the sole visionary on this, so if you guys have other <laughs> ideas, please do. Now, I, I love the, these ideas, honestly. <laughs> Your minds are honestly amazing. So, yeah, that, I like well, this, this going. you got this giant thing. So, remember in Blade Runner where they have the giant floating billboards, which I totally want to make in real life. I totally want to make a Joan with, like, a big screen TV and just fly it over an interstate. <laughs> just rolling ads, because I think that'd be amazing. Yeah. Maybe that's how this thing started out, or what it was supposed to be designed for. So, it has it, it, the drone core body is smaller but then it has that projection that makes it look larger i have an idea okay so yes it started off as that and that is the base mechanical form of it but what got loose was not actually a synthetic tech thing but an ai and this was the only platform it had available to it when it got loose and so it uploaded itself oh, to like that it. drone. I like it. I like it. And it has since modified the drone to its specifications so that it can do what it needs to do. Skynet has become self-aware. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, next up is going to be a D12 roll for method of defense. All right. Two. Two. It bites. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that fits. So... Is this going to be like a physical chomp or like the colloquial getting bit like whenever you're working with electronics and you get zapped? I like that idea and like how it transferred two things via that. So like it's almost like a I know that it's huge, but for some reason I love the idea of like having it be like this weird like how how would you put it like transferable almost disease type thing to where it travels through electricity. And, so kind, and, of, kind of like in D&D, the Aboleth, where it has yeah. this this mucus on the outside of it that will infect other creatures and basically turn them to goo. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like that. And again, if it's, quote, feeding on human flesh with this process with these electric arcing pseudopods, you know, you can have a mouth on the end of a pseudopod if you want to make that a, quote, quote, a bite. Oh, yeah. Because it's already hitting those points of metallic biotech or whatever you have. So it would be really easy for it just to reach out arc, and it's not trying to electrocute you, but it's just pulling off a chunk of flesh when it hits. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up is a D20 roll for Quirks. All right. It likes 17. 17. It has a symbiotic slash beneficial interaction with the environment. And again, that goes right back in with 5G and the Wi-Fi pollution stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> God, these are, this is such a cool thing. It's like almost like this weird virus or like weird digital animal hybrid, mechanical even. It's such a weird concept, but I dig it. <laughs> yeah, because it is, at least how I'm picturing it, it is an artificial intelligence, a true artificial intelligence that is basically riding around in this little platform that has that digital footprint, that EM aura around it, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can... Where was oh. I going with that? Okay, so, <laughs> so here's what I'm saying. Because it is, in fact, symbiotic, there has to be something it gives as well as takes, right? Yes. So what if it's like a mobile transmitter, almost like a mobile hotspot type thing? And so therefore, it's limited. It can transmit. It moves through the smog. It moves through the EM. And it can travel between where there are basically like tower signals. And it enhances them when it's there. So you have better signal or better reception or even better maybe general power output. But it is limited to a certain range of like where power lines are or something like that as well. Okay, yeah. Oh, I like the concept of it follows like high voltage transmission lines. Yeah. Because you get that. I don't know if you've ever stood under high voltage transmission lines. You can hear them hum. Right. Oh, yeah. You get that. And I would almost see that as that might be the indication that one is close is that the humming stops. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that's the indication that something's fucky. We need to get out. <laughs> <laughs> you go in the forever box. <laughs> All right. Now it's time to make it weird. So give me a D100 roll. Oh, God. I actually have to like pull this up. Hold on just a second. 1D100. God, I haven't rolled a 1D100 in a while. This is invigorating. <laughs> wow. All right. Let's see. 1D100 roll the dice. Let's do it. 35. 35. It can be completely immovable by locking itself in time and space. Oh my. Good God, what is this thing? <laughs> oh my God. Well, I mean, by and it large, it is a platform. energy entity. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like it's going into solid state storage. That is true. It's self-archives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that because then it would be able to, it's basically in stasis, it's in cold storage, and then it is able to upload itself to a new platform if the platform gets destroyed. Yeah, I love it. It's a self-preservation yeah. technique. That's awesome. dope. And so it's got backups of itself stored all along the route of this transmission line so that if it is ever destroyed, it can just re-upload itself into a new drone. As an AI would because AI. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. All right. So, James, do you want to do the second one or you want me to do the second one? Go ahead and roll the second one. My stuff's still all over the place. So the second one, what we got? 56. 56 is... Almost had ketchup. 
weirdly conventionally attractive? <laughs> Again, I can I can see that if it was designed to be a floating or mobile advertisement. Yeah. It could use color patterns, it could use sounds, it could do different things. So it's yeah. It, could, I mean, it can also form itself into like really attractive people that people like want to like look like on like the advertisement or like if they maybe like oh that's such a weird thing. Or like if somebody was trying to stop it and like went into like this weird digital like world or whatever to try to like stop the source it would like transform into like people that like they're attracted to or kind like, of like a dragon form yeah something like that yeah i could so, see that where it could pop out a holographic image or it could just look really fucking cool exactly yeah so i've got this idea going that is going to tie back into the whole it swims and two limbs and all of that okay what if it's digital form on the outside this holographic projection that it has is a siren a mermaid oh that'd be great it's freaking starbucks it's at starbucks <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what i'm going I for i love this <laughs> awesome that's perfect um, and then yeah so everybody with a coffee jones is like running up with a cup <laughs> uh, and i mean like say that happened to be the company that had rented that drone for its billboard advertisement when the AI uploaded into it and took over. Yeah, I like it. And so that leads me to believe that these digital billboards are less billboard and more 3D holographic projection that sort of float around spouting advertisements. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Yeah. So the holographic projection that happened to be uploaded to this drone at the time it was taken over was this mermaid selling coffee. <laughs> I like it. And with the self-archiving, maybe the AI can transport itself for that defense to any other advertising drone, but it prefers that because that's just it glommed that's on what it. It, knows. it picked itself as an identity. At this point, it's become hardwired into their programming. Yeah. It's like that is their physical manifestation. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. All right. Dude, this is awesome. That's really cool. <laughs> what are we naming it? Oh god. You know what? You you had it. It's the siren. I was going to say, yeah. I think yeah, the siren. I think that's a good. I think that's really good. Wow. I never thought that this is where we would go with that. That's so I cool. didn't either. But it's, <laughs> it's super cool. Yeah. All right. So, just to recap, so our creature is called the siren. It swims, it feeds off of living meat, it is huge-sized, has two limbs, three eyes, a bite attack, it is symbiotic with its environment, it can become completely immovable with respect to space and time, and it is weirdly conventionally attractive, question mark? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I like it, yeah. Yeah, that was a ton of fun. That yeah. really was. This is always my favorite part of these interviews is getting that creative outlet going. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because our guests are all so varied and you all bring such different perspectives that this was a ton of fun. Oh, yeah. And y'all y'all really took the stage with that. I was just enamored. like, <laughs> And most of it, I was really thinking about like how I could make it into my own campaigns. And like maybe like future neon knights creatures and stuff like that. I thought oh, that please, great. please feel please. free to take it. Take All this right. and run with it. Okay. You are an equal part collaborator on this. Take this and run with it. Sounds good. All right. Now that that's wrapped up, one of the things, other things that we like to do with our guests whenever we invite them on is to have them plug and promote 
another creator within the community. So, you know, a game designer, a streamer, an artist, et cetera, et cetera. Who would you like to shout out today? There are so many people I would love to shout out, but I think the one that kind of really kicked off everything and that really made me really confident in what I'm doing. I don't know if you've seen him in the community, but his name is Bogus Cheesecake. His at on Twitter is at Bogus underscore cheese. I love their name. Really memorable. (laughs) But they... Ever since I started making my games, he has, he was the first person on my Patreon to support us. He has bought the games, uh, bought Neon Knights, I think even bought Beyond Dream, the game collection that I did, and has shown just outrageously supportive, well, support. He's just been an absolute gift to not only me, but the community as a whole. And his follower count is criminally under what it should be. So if y'all could check Bogus Cheesecake out, please do. They're creating Bolarius, which is a cool, like, steampunk whaling game, which is like... Yes, I I think I remember seeing them on a self-promo Saturday. Yeah, it's so cool. We may already be following them. If they're not, then by the time this recording is done i'm gonna go and do it oh yeah please do not only are they really kind but they've also got a lot of talent and they're still working on the game so maybe showing them some love and some hype towards the game would help them out a lot but yeah they've been a gift and there's a bunch of people that i would like to shout out but i'll i'll save that for another time i'm on the podcast maybe (laughs) okay that's perfectly legit all right so now it's time for you to plug you because that's Kind of the reason why we invited you on is so that you could promote yourself and your stuff. Mm -hmm. So have at it. All right, I will. Really short, uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Ethan H. Reynolds. You can also follow my Patreon by the same name. I also have a writing page at the lore or the loresatlas.com that you can check out all my old works and sometimes see some blogs from me. I might do some more in the future. I'm also selling merch on Redbubble. I just created yesterday that I'll be adding. So that's uh, Reynolds Corp, ironically enough, uh, on Redbubble. And then what else do I have? You can go to my Twitter to find my link tree for everything else, like Beyond Dream, a game collection that I've done. You can find that on itch.io, DriveThruRPG, yada, yada, yada. And Neon Knights, of course which is on itch.io, RPG, and my Ko-Fi. Go check those out. And if you do buy the game, please feel free to reach out. Tell me how you liked it. See if there's any spelling errors, because I hate those sons of guns. And I'd be more than happy to tweet or, you know, highlight your uh, comments and stuff like that. So yeah, that's basically all that I got. All right. Well, Ethan, thank you very much for coming on and joining us today on Undercommon Taste. Yeah, this has been a ton of fun. You're very welcome. And thank you, everyone, for listening today. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for future episodes, please send us an email at undercommontaste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. I'm still doing my Shakespearean Insult page-a-day calendar-inspired roleplay prompts six days a week. They go on the Twitter account and get cross-posted to the Instagram and Facebook accounts at Undercommon Taste. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash Taste. So if you would like to help support the show financially, please come over and consider becoming a patron. You can find our podcast wherever you find your podcast. As always, give us a rate and a review. This helps increase our visibility and it lets us know what you want to hear more of. Thanks once more for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you next week. Happy gaming. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. If you enjoyed what you heard, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, suggestions, or ideas, you can email them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. 
If you like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, and we would greatly appreciate any likes, ratings, and comments you could provide. Find us on social media. We're at Undercommon Taste on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and on Twitter at the handle at UCT Homebrew. If you would like to help support the show financially, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash undercommontaste. Our theme is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find her online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Thanks again for listening, and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.